Good morning. We are continuing in our study on the Gospel of Luke. Today we have reached chapter 21. If you turn there, Luke chapter 21. Today we'll begin with verse 5. Uh, We're in the last days, actually we're coming to the final hours of Jesus' earthly ministry. He is in the temple, which was a building of great splendor, considered one of the most magnificent edifices of the ancient world. And we begin reading in verse 5, While some were speaking of that temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? He said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and The time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Then Jesus said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes. In various places, famines and pestilence. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand on how to answer For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. Some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance will you gain your lives. But when you see... Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its destruction has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days... For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun, moon, stars, and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then 
they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for your grace with us to hear your word and see its truth. To have the conviction of your care for us, your wisdom for us. We read descriptions of a world 2,000 years ago that is the same today. Nothing has changed. And so we come needing that you would lead us, needing the salvation that you freely give. And so we ask for your help for each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus taught in the magnificence of the temple of Jerusalem, Verse 5 tells us his disciples were understandably impressed by it. The temple complex covered 35 acres of ground. In the center of the complex stood the sanctuary that was made of gleaming white marble that had large sheets of gold upon it. The temple, which was already on a, a high hill, rose to the height of 150 feet. And it's described in that day as a gleaming collage of gold, silver, crimson, and purple radiating the morning sunlight like a snow-clad mountain. A main gate into the temple was completely overlaid with gold, as was the entire wall around it. Above it were vines made of gold upon which hung huge golden great clusters that were as tall as a man. The entrance was over 100 feet high and 40 feet wide. Solomon's porch, which was at one end, consisted of columns laid out in four rows. There were a total of 162 columns that were 45 feet tall, and they were holding up a ceiling of cedar panels. The thickness of each column was such that it took three men with arms stretched to reach around one of them. The foundation stones in recent years have been found for this temple, foundation stones that are 42 feet long, 11 feet tall, 14 feet deep for a single marble stone. They weighed 100 tons each. No wonder these men were awed and impressed as they stood there in this magnificence of human achievement. And there is much in this world that people accomplish that is impressive that we can appreciate. 
in what they build, in, in what they do, whether it's athletics or arts. But Jesus warns us against depending upon what is in this world. Verse 6, for these things that you see, these wondrous things you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on top of the other. Now the disciples, just like we would, wanted to know more. They asked, teacher, when? When will these things be? What will be the signs when they're about to take place? Jesus' answer was a long one. As he talked about the troubles that would come upon the world. Verse 9, he speaks about nations being continually at war. Verse 11, that the forces of nature would bring havoc to the earth. Verse 12 and following, that God's people would be persecuted even betrayed by their families. Even in these last two weeks, we've been receiving updates from our missions partners in Central Asia of a, a young woman that has recently come to Christ in that Muslim country, and she was just baptized, as you saw people baptized today. And in her joy of her faith, she shared that with her family. Her mother disowned her. Her husband hit her and cast her out of the house. These are not just theoretical ideas. This is the response of the world. Because they hate the reign of Christ. Jesus sums up all of these troubles in verses 25 and, and 26. Uh, see if there's anything familiar to you in these words. Uh, see whether or not this is an accurate description of the world we still live in. On the earth, distress of nations. In perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and waves. The sea in the scripture is used as a symbol of the turmoil in humanity. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the earth. Because sin pervades the world, suffering and trouble will always plague the world. It was not just in a particular time or place. In verse 35, Jesus says, This will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And just so people wouldn't respond to Jesus' descriptions to come by saying, Well, anyone could guess those generalities of the world. Jesus adds a specific catastrophe that generation would experience. Verse 20, when you see, and they would live to see, Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation is near. 
in less than 40 years, not only would that temple be utterly destroyed, the nation of Israel would cease to exist for 1,900 years. Jesus answers the disciples' questions of when and what are the signs in a fuller way than they expected or maybe wanted. That generation would see Jerusalem fall. He says in verse 32, truly this generation will not pass away until this has taken place. But Jesus then uses the destruction of Jerusalem as a symbol and a warning to people in all places through all time. Verse 35, it will come upon all who dwell in the face of the whole earth. And how will all of this judgment, this destruction end? Verse 36, and we will stand before the Son of Man. The Son of Man was a title Jesus used of himself. He who was the Son of God was born into this world, joining his divine nature with a human nature. Son of God becomes Son of Man, one born into the world. And by his faithfulness to the Father, by his work on the cross to die for sins, to conquer death and be raised from the dead to now reign in heaven. He has the right to judge this world. It is before Christ that all will come and stand because he is the Lord and he is deserving of that right. Philip Riken, in speaking of this chapter, says studying this chapter is like wearing bifocals. Uh, some looks near and some of it is looking far. And so people have debated, well, is this chapter really just about the fall of Jerusalem? Because it specifically mentions that. Others will say, well, no, this is really all about the end times. The answer is it's about both. Jesus is speaking and warning of what is coming to the entire world, but to give authority to what he says, that we would know Jesus understood what he was talking about. He gives a specific judgment that was just about to take place. Jesus answers the disciples being impressed with the majesty of this world by reminding them, of the suffering and turmoil and sorrow of this world. This world will never be a place of peace because this world refuses to submit to our creator. And so war and heartache, distress will be ongoing signs that God must bring justice to this world. And that the Lord will come with judgment. How else can God respond to a world filled with the displays of evil and destruction that men bring upon men? Whether it's nations destroying nations or individuals seeking to ruin the lives of individuals. But Jesus 
doesn't just leave us with warnings of trouble. He, he gives us these warnings at length. He spends a lot of time on it so that our mind wouldn't quickly shove it aside and, and move on. He wants us to dwell in this so that we would understand this is real. This is true. We, we simply need to open our eyes with what will happen with what is happening. In love, Jesus must give us the truth. But in his grace that drives his love, he also gives us counsel for how to live in a world of trouble. And he weaves this counsel throughout his warnings. We'll look at several of them. The first we see in verse 8 is, don't be deceived. Jesus says, see that you are not led astray. Many will come saying, I am he, the time is at hand. Do not go after them. This not only includes false Christ, those who will say, I'm the one and this is the time. It also includes false wisdom. Those who would say, this is now the truth. We have a new truth. It's a higher truth than what you've heard. This is what you should follow. Jesus warning against a false Christ is equally against false wisdom that the world would seek to give. We know better now. That's just another false idol, another false God. We understand better. But we are to remember what will and what will not stand. In verse 33, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. All that's impressive about this world will completely disappear. But the work of Jesus will stand forever. And believer, you are the most prized work of Jesus that exists. His greatest works are the works of the gospel that saved you. The works of the Spirit of God who keeps you. It is your salvation and your life with him that's included in what will never pass away. For Jesus who saves, he promises to keep, to never cast aside, to never leave or never lose. How do we respond in a troubled world? The first counsel is don't be deceived by what is in this world to take your eyes off the truth of Christ. Secondly, don't be afraid. Verse 9. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. The world is broken, and it's filled with all sorts of fearful circumstances. But even a rebellious world, even a world that denies Christ, is never outside of his control. And so in every troubling situation, not just the 
the big troubles of the world, but the, the specific troubles that you woke up thinking about this morning. In every troubling situation, there are no exceptions here. Remember who is in control. Remember who is sovereign. Remember who is Lord of all. Lord forever of all. And so fearful things come and they can make us gasp. They can cause our, our knees to shake. But we need not be terrified. Because we know how it ends. For the world and for us. Our hope for the future does not rise and fall by our success. And neither does it by who wins an election. Our hope indeed does not rise and fall. Our hope is sustained. It continues because our hope is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in nothing less, the accumulation of nothing less. Our hope is very specific. It rests entirely upon one person, his work, his reign, his faithfulness, his promises. Our hope is in Jesus who will always get his way. How do we walk in this world of trouble? We're not deceived. We're not fearful. And third, we, we actually look to God to use us in the midst of trouble. Verse 13, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. When does Jesus say that? It, it was in what was maybe the most personally fearful description he gives in the chapter of when you will be persecuted, brought before leaders, betrayed by family. It is in that moment, he says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Verse 15, for I will give you, we don't have to drum it up. I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. For we have real hope, regardless of circumstances. We have real answers because our Savior and our King is real. Our hope is not how smart we will be, how strong we will be. And so neither is how fruitful we are, whether or not God uses us. That we will be used is not because we're going to reach a point where we're going to feel strong and be strong. God's use of us is in the fact that he's committed to doing so. He specializes in using the weak and the feeble in wondrous ways. 
And so be encouraged as others are fearful and do not know what is coming. That is our time to be clear with the hope within us. That is the time when we can display the faithfulness of God that exists in our own souls. A hope that the world can have if they would turn to Christ. The fourth counsel Jesus gives in this world of troubles to guard our life. Verse 34, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation drunkenness, cares of the world, so that the day would come upon you suddenly like a trap. We share the troubles of the world. We, we live in it like everyone else. We have the pain of it. We have the, the circumstances bringing turmoil, pressing against us. And though we share the troubles of the world, we should not share the world's perspectives about them. We should not share the world's responses to them. Recognize what is right and what is wrong with the world. Rebellion against God is what has led to every sorrow on the face of the earth. It is trust in Christ and following him that leads to every eternal joy that we can have. What is wrong with the world is that people have not given their hearts to Christ. What is right is that Jesus saves and makes whole. As we respond to the world, keep in mind what is wrong and don't follow after it. Don't be like the world that tries to take the edge off their pain through behaviors that become addictive. Or try to bury and cover over our worries in gathering success in favor of the world. Instead, verse 36 says, stay awake praying. Stay awake praying. Meaning we are to be awake in our relationship with God. What is true life and wakefulness? It is living in the realities of our God. Stay awake by staying awake in your relationship with him. Spending time growing in intimacy, listening, following, letting him guide you as he desires to do every day in every situation. That's why he's given the gift of the spirit of God. Who never leaves us so that there are no exceptions to the moments in which he leads and uses us. The world looks to every answer but Christ. We are to look nowhere else. For the greatest counsel of all is just that. To look to him. After Jesus' description of the world, one that is filled with fainting and fear and perplexity and foreboding, he immediately launches into this. Verse 27, in the midst of that, then they will see. 
the Son of Man. Then they will see me coming in a cloud with power and glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption draws near. At all times, set your attention on Jesus because he is your Savior. He is your coming King. He is the one whom we all will face. And he is coming to us. He's coming with power to fulfill your redemption. On the cross, Jesus made redemption, meaning he purchased your freedom from the guilt of sin and death by paying the price. That's what redemption is, setting free by paying a price. Jesus paid the price of the guilt of your sin. He paid the price that God requires for sin to have justice. Jesus paid it all by his death on the cross. He redeemed you. He set you free. That salvation is immediate, total, and forever. But as long as we live in this world, we do not experience all of the joys and fulfillment of our salvation. That can only come when we are freed from a world of sin, of distress and fear. That can only come when we are brought, perfected into his presence. Jesus is coming to do exactly that. To bring us into his presence. And so straighten up and raise your head is a, a Hebrew expression of have hope. For Christ, who is our only hope, is coming. And he has proven how much he loves you on the cross. He has proven how committed he is to you on the cross. He has committed his care for you on the cross. And he has proven his authority and his power for judgment. When he destroyed sin and death. And he sent the spirit to keep you. Until the moment when he comes to get you. So people of God. What are your troubles? What is fearful? What is heavy? In all of it, it remains very simple. The troubles seem complex. The answer really is simple. We look to Jesus. We trust Jesus. We obey Jesus. And he will demonstrate his faithfulness to you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you. This, this gathering of your people. All of us. With concerns that are deep. Fears that, that threaten to rise up and steal our joy. For some there's, there's great weariness. And it seems that trouble follows trouble. And the reality of these troubles presses in so hard it. 
It's difficult for them to see the realities of your grace. Father, the words of another man cannot demonstrate it, but you can. So speak your words into the hearts of the the burden. For those who do not know you, reveal yourself as Savior who will take the guilt from anyone who would call upon you. Lift up your people. Hold the faces of your people in your hands that they may look into your eyes and see the depth of your love and compassion for them. Do this for we need you. We believe you. We trust in you. Jesus, our Savior, our King. In your name we pray. Amen. As we finish the service, uh, we encourage you to look for those who are baptized and just show your, your gratitude for God's work in them. We celebrate the wondrous work of God displayed in each of those lives. And if your heart, if your heart is burdened, you want to know the truth of Christ. You just need someone to pray with you. The, the people around you that you, you know they would love to pray with you. And pastors will be up front. We would be glad to listen to pray with you. To show you if you need to see what does Christ say about how he saves. Don't leave this morning without God fulfilling all that he desires for you. And now would you stand to receive God's blessing. And now, may the wondrous, faithful, eternal grace of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and abide upon each one of you, filling, overflowing your lives both now and forever. Amen. Thank you for being with us today.